Hello, and welcome to Energy Levelized. I'm Morgan. And I'm Bill, and we're your hosts. Energy Levelized is a glimpse behind the scenes, a chance to hear from the passionate personalities behind the mountains of research the Enverse Intelligence team puts out on the energy space. For those that aren't familiar with Enveris, we're an energy SaaS firm that is influencing the world's most important energy decisions by connecting an industry through intelligence, data analytics, and smart network technologies. We invite you to join us as we have fun, unscripted, and honest conversations tackling the toughest questions in energy. Hello, and thanks for joining in to the Energy Levelized Conversation. In this episode, Bill and I will discuss the ever-evolving Ukraine-Russia conflict and the risks it poses to Europe, to Russian oil and gas supply, and to the wider global economy. This will be something our team will continue to cover as the situation evolves. As a director on Inveris's macro team and a veteran observer of European, Middle East, and African energy, Bill is an experienced political analyst and will offer his thoughts on the potential pathways that the conflict will take and the spillover from Europe's first interstate armed conflict since World War II. Welcome, Bill. Thanks. So bring us up to date uh, first on the situation on the ground in Ukraine. Okay, so uh, the Ukraine situation is that Russia in the last 24 hours has started to tighten its grip on the, the second city, uh, Kharkiv in the northeast, um, Kherson, which is in the south near Crimea, uh, and there's a huge military convoy of Russian tanks and vehicles moving to encircle the capital Kiev from the north. Um, there is evidence that Putin's forces, you know, having made slower progress than they had probably expected in the first few days of the invasion, uh, are taking the gloves off now and increasingly ready to target the civilian population with more devastating force. I mean, this could include intense shelling, grad rocket attacks, possibly even thermobaric weapons, dirty bombs, chemical weapons. Some of these uh, um, types of uh, weapons were deployed by, by Russian forces uh, against Syrian cities, particularly Aleppo in the civil war there in the last few years. Um, it's very difficult to see how the Ukraine armed forces and the civilian volunteers will, will counter that sort of level of Russian force for any extended period, despite um, the commitments made by the EU and other Western supporters like the US to provide arms, uh, communications equipment, and, and give them access to, to their intelligence. You know, while U Ukraine has had some early victories uh, in the early days of this, this war, Russia's overwhelming strength of numbers and, and readiness to escalate its tactics uh, seems likely to, to make it dominant if no diplomatic off-ramp can be found. But I, I don't expect victory of any shape to be decisive or clean. R Russian engagement in Ukraine is going to be a long, bloody and pretty destructive affair. Yeah, one thing that that helped me grasp kind of the the scale of this is just putting into context like the size of Ukraine. Um, so Ukraine is about the size of, of Texas. Um, with with almost double the population of Texas. So if you think about the size of Russia and just the forces that are coming in around Ukraine, I mean, it's quite an extraordinary um, conflict that's happening. It, yeah, so I, I think 
I think that's true, and it's a there's a fort it's a country with a forty million population. Um, that gives you a sense of how how considerable the the refugee crisis could be. Um, there are also huge swathes of the country that are not under Russian control at the moment. So uh, it certainly is a pretty big thing for for Russia to to bite off. Um, but that said, they 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 are you know they are making progress. Um, albeit slower than expected, and it's looking like it will get increasingly bloody. Right. Okay, let, let's talk about some of the sanctions so far. So it, it seems that Western powers have found consensus on joint sanctions against Russia. Was that expected? In a word, no. Um, what's been striking to me is the speed at which the US, Europe, and, and, and key Asian economies, um, such as Japan, South Korea, and Australia, have come together to 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 f create these sanctions against uh, Russia. Sanctions on the Russian central bank, um, the the decision to, to mostly block Russia from the international payment system SWIFT, and um, airspace bans are and, and will have a profound and pretty negative impact on life for ordinary Russians. Um, the freezing of the international assets of Putin and his inner circle will probably also increase the price for them, uh, although I, I'm not convinced that any of these measures will have um, an immediate impact on, on on the direction that the Kremlin is is taking. You know, we expected European powers to be somewhat conflicted on sanctions against Russia, um, but they ended up, uh, you know, stepping up to the plate. I mean, even Germany, historically very cautious on defence and its international relations, and and heavily reliant. Uh, on Russian gas, announced a major increase in defence spending over these last few days and, and has backed um, EU sanctions on Russia. Now, you could argue that Putin has almost inadvertently reinvigorated the Western liberal consensus and for once really unified EU foreign policy. So it's, it's, it's a fairly significant change that's occurred over these last two or three days. Definitely. And I think as right before we started recording this, it, it came out that the Ukraine was accepted into the EU or, or something or, along those lines. Yeah, at least the European Parliament has has voted yeah. to 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 accept them as a as a member, which is, you know, again, an extraordinary uh, political development, a, a process that uh, usually takes years of accession talks and uh, economic alignment and political and social alignment. It, 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 it seems extraordinary that these steps are being taken in such short order. Right. Now, NATO, that they have no appetite for military confrontation with Russia. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. I, I, you know, a lot of has been made of the US declaring that uh, its forces and NATO forces more generally will not directly confront Russia. Uh, and, and technically, that, that policy is in line with uh, NATO's doctrine of mutual defense, which is Ukraine is not a NATO member and therefore does not get that level of, of, uh, of protection. However, the economic sanctions directed at Russia and, and the level of Western support for Ukraine in terms of weapons and intelligence really has put the West in a war posture nonetheless. Um, I think the risks of mission creep as civilian losses begin to mount are palpable. 
NATO countries have so far ruled out declaring and policing a no-fly zone above Ukraine, but you know that calculus may start to change if Russia continues to attack civilian targets uh, and the visible human cost rises. Refugee flows into Central Europe will rise, uh, while Western uh, efforts to supply Ukraine with weapons over the land borders will uh, in time increase the risk that that neighboring countries are are drawn into this conflict as well. Right. So what that that all being said, what's the diplomatic off ramp available t- to Putin? I mean, is there one? It's not e- easy to see one. Um, I would say Putin has crossed the Rubicon and made the invasion an existential conflict for Russia as well as Ukraine. Um, his ongoing leadership of, of Russia really depends upon success here, so it's pretty zero-sum for Putin. Public opposition to the war inside Russia is growing, but in an authoritarian state such as Russia, it matters less than the disaffection of his inner circle and, and the Russian known as Siloviki, the, uh, who will be the, the ones who will remove him if it comes to that. They are the the senior members of Russia's security organizations from where Putin himself hails. And they are really the key to power in post-Soviet Russia. The real danger is that an increasingly embattled Putin will escalate the confrontation, draw in additional countries, uh, and possibly deploy unconventional weapons, including potentially nuclear weapons. This would have seemed entirely fanciful a week or so ago, but now, given what's happened in these last few days, it does look, start to look like a reasonable risk, if, if albeit small at this point. So Western powers will need to weigh the measures they take carefully. They want to isolate Russia economically, and they want to support Ukraine. But at the same time, they will need to be aware of at least offering some avenues for diplomatic discussions that would open the way uh, for a political solution. Right now, that seems an awfully long way off. Right. So taking all of this kind of into consideration, let's bring it back to macro oil now. What does this mean or what does this war mean for Russian energy? So Russian Russia produces, it's one of the biggest producers in the world of oil, um, produces around 10 million barrels a day, uh, less in recent years because of the uh, the OPEC plus cuts, but but it's getting back uh, back to those sort of levels. It's also uh, a large product exporter, uh, and it's a and it's a key gas supplier, crucially um, for Europe. Um, for now, oil and gas exports are still flowing, but the Western drumbeat for sanctions against Russian oil and gas is growing, and and measures taken to limit Russia's access to SWIFT and uh, and increase insurance costs and so on are making it. Um, may not essentially be directly affecting energy trade, but they've seemed to have undermined some traders' confidence so much so that um, we can see that uh, uh, Russian Urals, which is one of the key export grades of crude, is already trading at huge discounts uh, with some cargoes going unsold. So even absent formal sanctions on Russian energy exports, and we're not there yet, volumes are already falling. Just a week ago, it would seem impossible that the EU could even consider sanctions on Russian oil and gas. Russian gas accounts for around 40% of European demand, uh, and Mediterranean refiners are big buyers of Russian Urals. Russian refiners, meanwhile, ship large volumes of diesel and gas oil into Northwest Europe, 
Uh, and there, but there are discussions underway to establish how increased gas flows from LNG suppliers could be landed in Europe and other measures to try and manage demand in the event that Russian energy supplies are, are reduced or cut. Right. Do you think that Western powers are really ready to suck up the inflationary price impacts of energy sanctions on Russia? Yeah, that's the sort of million dollar question. I, you know, given that inflation is now running at multi-decade highs, it might seem extraordinary that consumer nations would countenance sanctions that could compound that problem. But, you know, the unity and force of the political response by Western powers in the last few days suggests that this is now, in fact, a possibility. Um, you know, the, given the tightness of global LNG balances, prospects for additional seaborne gas supplies to make up for lost Russian gas would hinge on the price arbitrage. Uh, and Europe's other pipeline gas suppliers, Algeria, Norway, Azerbaijan, have limited or, or no additional supply capacity in the near term. Although presumably producers could trim domestic consumption if rising export prices provided a sufficient incentive. Um, but in short, there's no easy replacement for sanctioned Russian energy supplies, particularly for gas. And aside from sanctions, are there other risks to supply? Yeah, there are. Um, Putin could decide to reduce gas or oil and products flows into Europe um, to preempt any sanctions uh, and also to put pressure on, on Western consumers or Russian export pipelines that transit Ukraine and Belarus could be damaged in fighting. It's not inconceivable that um, the first impact would happen amid fighting with blame assigned elsewhere. You know, it could be uh, a way of uh, avoiding, um, you know, responsibility for actually taking those decisions in the first place. And I think the question that a lot of people have uh, on top of their mind is, what does this mean for oil prices? Yeah, difficult to say until we know the volumes involved, but we can already see in the physical differentials um, that buyers are shunning Russian crude. Uh, Brent is also hitting new highs in terms of uh, nearby futures, which is pricing more disruption. It seems to me that a total Russian cutoff in supply is unlikely, but the loss of one to two million barrels of supply would probably send prices up by 15 to $20 per barrel, all else equal. Right. And we chatted a little bit about inflation so far, but what are the longer term impacts to the global economy from the Ukraine war? Well, um, as we said, it, uh, surging energy prices will stoke inflation and over time will suppress demand. In the near term, um, energy intensive, intensive industries may have to uh, cut operations. Uh, there may be some increased switching to liquefied power generation. And presumably, um, the construction of renewable power will be prioritized as a strategy uh, and will receive additional support. Um, in terms of um, oil operators, we are already seeing an exit of majors from Russia. We've seen BP, Shell, Equinor already uh, announce uh, that they are moving out. You know, while Russian operators are capable of developing oil and gas, the, the restrictions to international capital raising and uh, the import of technology and equipment is likely to have an impact, but it probably won't be an immediate one. Um, Russia will probably also seek to maximize alternative markets for its oil and gas. 
China, with whom Russia has already agreed a political and economic partnership, uh, is already a growth market for Russian energy. And while there are logistical limits to capacity, mainly because a lot of the uh, West Siberian crude cannot be pumped to China easily, um, I, I would imagine China would be ready to 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 uh, access um, some of that sanctioned and discounted Russian crude, uh, as it has with uh, with Iran, who's also under sanctions. Russia has already announced its, its intention of boosting pipeline gas deliveries to China as well. So even though China is not ready to give a completely full political backing to, to Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine, it is ready to take advantage and, and consolidate the energy trade between the two countries. And in the near term, what are we looking for on the energy side? Well, um, things that could happen this week um the iea is already discussing an emergency oil stocks release and as of uh today the first of march i mean that could come as soon as today um opec plus is meeting tomorrow to set april production policy um we're probably expecting just another monthly rollover of that the usual hike um and the US and the UK are pushing for, for energy sanctions against Russia. It'd be interesting to see whether that comes to fruition or not. Um, as a sidebar, talks with Iran on reinstating the 2015 nuclear deal are also coming to a head. Um, so there is the potential for extra oil supply from Iran out of the Gulf. Um, you know, in time, additional supply from friendly, friendly nations like the US could, could ramp up and, and certainly U.S. Uh, short cycle shale oil is is would be probably the best target for increasing supply in in the very near term. But for now, uh, developments on the ground in U in Ukraine are probably uh, going to be grabbing the headlines. Oil will continue volatile, with a geopolitical premium set to grow, even with a limited loss in physical supply. A widening of the military conflict into Eastern and Central Europe is a distinct possibility in the coming days and weeks, while Russian cyber attacks on Western financial institutions and key infrastructure are also a growing risk. So it's going to be a very bumpy ride for oil markets, for Europe, for the global economy in the coming days and weeks. Certainly. So let, let's leave it here. Thanks, Bill. Um, but certainly uh, evolving situation, if not day by day, hour by hour. So please contact the Inveris Intelligence team for more insights on global energy uh, and, and impacts uh, to our macro outlook and any, of, uh, any other details that might pertain to this. Um, thanks so much and take care. Thank you. This podcast was recorded on March 1st, 2022. Inveris Intelligence Research Incorporated provides leading energy industry research and is a subsidiary of Inveris, the largest SaaS company in the world solely dedicated to the energy market. Therefore, any company mentioned in this podcast may be a subscriber or client of Inveris Intelligence Research, Inveris, or their affiliates. However, any views expressed in this podcast accurately reflect the speaker's personal views about any subject securities referenced. The information contained in this recording is provided for information purposes only and is not to be used or considered as investment advice or recommendation or offer to buy, hold, or sell any securities or other financial instruments. Please visit www.inveris.com disclosures for additional information.